KBFK on radio, 90.7 FM, all over Southern California, out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM, and of course, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Ha, hello, howdy. Michael Benner with Inner Vision till 2 o'clock this afternoon for the next hour, a program on spirituality and health program on metaphysics and mysticism and magic and manifestation and well a program about self-realization and consciousness i guess my favorite definition of all of those is uh, a show about why we think and feel and act the way we do think about it of all the w's in journalism the one that's ignored most is why and that's what we want to know why is this happening? Why do people think the way they think? Why do they feel and speak and act the way they do? We've got all the the uh, who's and the what's and the where's and the when's and the how's. So the why really speaks to philosophy, which is a search for the truth. And that's what we attempt to do here philosophically through uh well, we'll call it comparative philosophy, comparative religion. Uh, I'm one of those uh, philosophers who believes that uh, religion has no more right to corner the market on spirituality than the medical establishment has a right to corner the market on healing with their approaches of drugs and knives. Is that all there is? Well, of course not. There's lots of alternatives to the promotion of physical healing. And uh, when it comes to emotional and spiritual healing, if you will, same thing. Why should churches and temples and mosques corner the market when there's such a rich philosophical tradition in the world? So sometimes we talk about religion, sometimes uh, philosophy. Today we're going to talk about an aspect of personal and spiritual development that is always popular and fun, but uh, haven't done it in a long time, and that's to talk about your dreams. Daydreams? Well, a little bit. The the uh, the secret, those kinds of dreams, manifestation? Well, a little bit. Mostly what I want to talk about are the dreams that we have while we sleep, that often we remember in the morning, but that everyone has, whether 
you remember your dreams or not. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, but Michael, I, uh, I don't dream. I don't have dreams. And it's not true. Everybody dreams. We'll talk about the dream cycles a little bit in this hour. And, of course, take your telephone calls, too, a little later in the hour. So stay with us as a listener if you want to call and participate. We'll give you uh, that opportunity. But whether you remember your dreams or not, everybody has dreams, four, five, six dreams a night. And are they meaningful? You bet. Just how important are they? Very. What happens if we're denied an opportunity to dream? I can't wait to tell you. It's going to blow your mind. And what is this bizarre thing that we do for a third of each day anyway? This strange phenomena called sleep. Talk about taking things for granted. For a third of every day, whether I work hard or lay around and do nothing, I have to pass out for a third of the day. Well, roughly a third. People used to sleep eight or ten hours when they lived closer to the land, when they worked in farms and rural settings. And... uh course, before the invention of the light bulb. And then when the light bulb was invented, the uh, amount of sleep, average sleep, went down to seven and a half, eight hours. Currently, it's at about six and a half hours. Most of us are sleep-deprived, and we do pretty well in spite of it. I mean, there's a lot of accidents, a lot of mistakes, a lot of auto accidents and airplane crashes and Matter of fact, I saw a study a few years ago about sleep deprivation and the role that it played in a number of major disasters. We were talking about this a few weeks ago, like Chernobyl and Bhopal and Three Mile Island and the and the Shuttle Challenger disaster. And in every case, they went back and found people who were sleep deprived, who were just not getting enough sleep. And I'm just betting the majority of our audience right now, uh, the majority of folks who, like you, are listening to me right now, would have to admit, yeah, you're probably not getting enough sleep. Because we like being awake. We have interesting lives, most of us, I'm sure, especially KPFK listeners. We're busy. we got lots of stuff that we want to do, even if it's just relaxing at the end of the day and chatting. I have, the older I get, the harder it is for me to go to bed, to give it up and cash it in. But it's the dreams I really talk, really want to talk about today. And, and uh, maybe, as I say, when we go to the telephones, we can talk about how to interpret dreams. And it's no big thing. It's really quite easy to learn to interpret the meaning of your dreams and come to understand yourself a whole lot better. I think it was Freud, it must have been Freud that talked about dreams as the high road to the subconscious mind. might have been Carl Jung, for certainly Jungian psychology is very oriented toward the symbolism and the, the allegory and metaphor that is necessary to really understand dreams. Dreams taken literally, well, there are dreams that have literal meanings that that can be taken at their surface appearance. Uh, But even then, enfolded within the dream that seems to be rather literal, 
Didn't Freud say sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, right? And yet, even if the dream has meaning in the most literal and obvious sense, enfolded within it is deeper meaning. That's part of the beauty of becoming, um, well, what's the word? Adroit, facile, skilled at interpreting dreams, especially yours. Your dreams are really the only ones you need to interpret. Unless you just really enjoy it and like to share with other people the discussion. Lots of folks come to me, Michael, what does this dream mean? Or, I had this dream and I can't stop thinking about it. What do you think that might mean? And so, that's what we're going to talk about today. Talk about dreams, sleep, daydreams, even synchronicities a little bit. We'll see how time goes, because if you become skilled, or I'll say it this way, as you become skilled in interpreting and understanding the meaning of the dreams that you have during sleep, as you become better skilled at, well, what we were just discussing, the symbolism, the allegory, the metaphor, you're going to be able to use those skills, those understandings, in your daily life and affairs, in your waking life, in the meaningful coincidences that many of you know as synchronicities, another Jungian term, a synchronicity is, well, most people would say, yeah, what a, what a strange coincidence. But you see meaning where other people just see some odd coincidence, and you say, wait a minute. That's a coincidence, but it's not at random. There is meaning to that. There's a lot of words for it. Synchronicities. Kismet, serendipity. Uh, talking about the nature of fate and destiny. It's a rich field, and I hope you can uh, hang with us for a little while as we talk about this, because I think you're going to be able to pick up some skills. If time permitting, we can even talk a little bit, I hope, about incubating dreams. Did you, you ever done that? You ever decided that you wanted to program yourself to not just remember a spontaneous dream, but to dream about a particular problem that you're having, to Again, program or incubate a dream that will contain information to help you understand your life and what's going on for you right now. It's core mysticism. If you aspire to go beyond religion and have a really deep and personal understanding of spirituality and philosophy, our relationship to the all that is, this is part of it. This is definitely part of it. So, Thanks for tuning in, sticking around, Intervision Till 2. Let's roll up our sleeves and first of all talk about sleep. Because again, I think if we're going to appreciate here, even if just for an hour, the nature of dreams and how rich and relevant they are, uh, we have to not only stop taking our dreams for granted, we have to, I think, take another look at the nature of sleep. And I was thinking about this the other day and, and imagining if some alien being stumbled upon this planet and reported back home, one of the strangest phenomena probably would be, yeah, boss, you won't believe it, but these earthlings, for a third of every day, they pass out. 
Sometimes they put on special clothes and they get into these beds and they lay down and they go unconscious, no matter what they've done during the day. <laughs> Whether they worked really hard or didn't do anything, watch soap operas and TV all day long, and you still have to sleep. They call it rest, but maybe there's something else going on here. And also the very fact that uh, you don't die when you go to sleep. In other words, when the conscious mind becomes unconscious, there is another aspect to mind that prevents you from dying, that continues, in other words, to breathe you, to beat your heart, to maintain blood pressure and body temperature, to repair and replace cells, to digest food and fight disease, and you know, hundreds and hundreds of other responses or, or reactions, all going on automatically all turned over to autopilot. It's how we know there is essentially a subconscious mind, that you have at least two aspects to mind, a part that goes unconscious, and you have no sentience. You lose awareness. You lose consciousness. And yet, not only does the subconscious keep us alive and keep us healthy, actually healing is accelerated while you sleep. Information is moved from short-term memory to long-term memory. The memory begins to organize and select, hmm, what should we retain and what can we cast aside? All of this goes on, uh, plus an even more sophisticated sorting and organizing of information. And for the more esoteric in the crowd, you can look at the nature of sleep from the soul's point of view. For wouldn't that be the ultimate repository of memory and experience? So I think the most fascinating thing when we begin a discussion about dreams is just to look at the nature of sleep itself and the fact that uh, we call it rest, but it's not about rest. And the body does rejuvenate itself, no question, but there's something else going on. And so, for the last three or four decades, there's been a lot of research done. Sleep laboratories. And, uh, gosh, I think the uh, the DSM lists over 100. Uh, could it be 150, I think? I, I believe I'm right. I know it's over 100. I think there are as many as 150 different sleep disorders. All kinds of, from sleep apnea and snoring to um, somnambulism, sleepwalking, sleep eating. People can get up, make an entire meal in the middle of the night, go back to sleep, wake up in the morning, and wonder where all the dirty dishes came from. Night terrors, nightmares, sleep paralysis. I, I don't know if you ever listened to that uh Coast to Coast with Art Bell and George Norrie on the AM radio. Uh, they curry phone calls from people who experience sleep disorders without ever saying, oh, well, that's just a sleep disorder. Um, it's a little unethical or dishonest, I think. These poor people call up 
rather unexperienced, unsophisticated, poorly educated, scared out of their minds. And it'd be nice if they said, oh, that's a sleep disorder. Go see your psychologist or your psychotherapist if you want some help with that. The uh, the night terrors and the uh, the narcolepsy, waking up paralyzed and you're not able to move. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. There's even an aspect of it called the old hag syndrome, where people have an experience not only of being awake and seemingly awake, rather, and paralyzed, but often high levels of paranoia and fear, uh, an experience that people are moving around in the room, sometimes racial uh, overtones, and then uh, also this experience of an old woman sitting on your chest. And yet it's... It's an archetype because people who don't know each other uh, have for generations had similar experiences. So it's a sleep disorder, but it, most people that experience it would never presume that it's some sort of sleep disorder. They attribute uh, supernatural uh, overtones and consequences to it. And it can be a prelude, these kinds of narcolepsy and these other sleep disorders actually can be a prelude to out-of-body experience or astral projection or soul travel or uh, visitations, uh, waking up and thinking you're awake and you see a gray in the closet. What the hell is that? That's one of those aliens from the Spielberg movie. Are you really awake? And then there's lucid dreams. My God, I can see we're not going to get to all of this stuff. The experience of having a dream, knowing you're dreaming, but you're sentient, you're alert, you're aware of the dream while you're having the dream, the lucid dream. So if you got questions or comments, 818-985-5735. We'll go to the phones in a few minutes, but... Uh, I want to give you a chance here to call Brooke. She's our producer. You'll talk to her on dreams. I want to know about your personal dreams and, and your nightmares, your lucid dreams, your your uh, sleep disorders, anything. If you think it's interesting, I'm sure others will. Check in with Brooks, and uh, we'll talk about it. And maybe just interpreting some of the, in the most basic sense, dream symbols and talking about what they mean and what you can learn about yourself and your relationships, your daily life and affairs through the dreamscapes, the interior life of dreams. 818-985-5735. 985-KPFK in the 818 area code. We'll go to the telephones in a few minutes. So the first point that I want to make in this discussion, the first specific point, number one, is that this... Uh, Sleep disorder research indicates that while we can do pretty well if deprived of sleep, we can cope, we can maintain. There are risks involved in sleep deprivation, certainly. But what we really cannot tolerate for more than two nights in a row is to be deprived of dream time. And there's numerous uh, experiments and research that's been done where people are hooked to, you know, monitors, EEGs, electroencephalographs, and their brainwave patterns are monitored so that 
we can see there's a certain brainwave frequency, uh, so-called alpha brainwave levels, that, uh, I'm sorry, theta, deeper than alpha, theta brainwave levels, like uh, about four to seven cycles, the REM sleep, rapid eye movement, that is associated with dreaming. So what the researchers do is every time somebody goes into this theta brainwave level and the REM activity begins, they go in and gently wake them up. Say, sorry, you were dreaming. We had to wake you up. After all, that's why you're here. That's what we're doing. Now you go back to sleep, and the researchers allow the subject to sleep as much as they want, as long as they want, as many hours as they wish. They just don't get any dream time. That lasts for like two nights, and people become psychotic. They break with reality. So it may not be as simple as to say the reason we sleep is to dream. The dreams are the most fundamental, uh, essential, and important part of sleep. I'm not prepared to say that because there's so much we don't know. But it's safe to say that dreaming is a very essential component, a very important part of why we need to sleep at all is to dream. Now, again, as I said a few minutes ago, lots of people, because they don't care about their dreams, they've never been taught to respect their dreams, have little or no interest in their dreams, we stop forgetting. I mean, we start forgetting. We, <laughs> we stop remembering the dream. Don't know what to do with it. You know, as soon as you roll over once, you wake up in the morning before you hit uh, feet even hit the floor, you've already forgotten the dream, it's shattered. Most people wake up with alarm clocks. That in and of itself is enough to shatter the dream and in many cases prevents you from remembering. So one of the secrets to remembering dreams is just simply to care. Um, to use a mental alarm clock to program yourself when you go to sleep, to tell yourself, like meditation, self-hypnosis, visualization, just suggest to yourself that you're going to wake up at the time you wish to wake up. Naturally, without an alarm clock, you're going to feel wide awake and alert and remember one of your dreams. Then on a bedside table, you keep a nice journal and a nice pen. And by the way, I think it's a good idea to invest a little money in a dream journal and a dream pen, 15, 20 bucks. I mean, you could just put a, a, a legal pad and a, and a pencil on the table. That would work, right? But if you go out and spend $12, $15 in a nice journal, a blank pages book, right? It's got a nice cover. It's hardbound. It's got your energy on it. It's substantial. And then 8 or $10 for a pen. You know, something between a 69-cent throwaway Bic pen and one of these $150, $200 you know, fountain pens, you don't need that, certainly. Eh, just 8 or 10 bucks, $12 maybe on a nice pen. You imbue then both the journal and the pen just with your intention, just with your caring nature. You consecrate them. You, you put power into the book and the pen, and even more importantly, into your subconscious nature, your psyche, and that in and of itself is going to help you remember the dream. Subconscious is watching. Subconscious says, oh, 
Look what Michael did. He bought this really cool book and this really cool pen and dedicated both the book and the pen to nothing but recording dreams. He must care all of a sudden. Let's see what we can do to remember some of those little dream fragments. And you write them down in the morning when you wake up. Often, if uh, you remember only a little fragment of a dream, the act of beginning to write it down will open you to the rest of it while you're writing and maybe feeling a little frustrated that you don't remember very much of the dream. As you're writing it down, wow, there, here it comes, right? Or another little trick is roll over into different sleep positions. Most of us know the positions that we favor when we sleep. Some folks like to be on their belly, others on their back. Some people like the left side, the right side, the fetal position, all stretched out. You know the ones you favor and are likely to go through in any given evening of sleep. So roll over when you wake up in the morning and want to remember one or more of your dreams into those different sleep positions because often uh, it's like memory is encoded in that position. You revisit that position and here comes the dream. You like uncork it. And here it comes. Pretty cool, huh? Let's see. What else? Where else do we want to go with this? Dream symbols. And when we go to the phones in just a few minutes, hope we can talk more about the symbolism of dreams. Because there are the universal symbols, what Jung called, uh, C.G. Jung called the archetypes, universal symbols. For example, um, the flying dream which usually is freedom and spiritual growth. It's a positive thing. Liberation, what's more liberating than to fly? If you're on an airplane or a rocket ship, my God, I had a rocket ship dream once. It was really cool. That indicates growth. And so, of course, a falling dream, falling, failing, uh, that indicates a, not necessarily a reality, but a belief system a concern, a fear, perhaps, that you are falling or failing or losing control or have lost control. All right. Those are popular and common dreams. Other symbols include, uh, well, water. Lots of people have water dreams. Water is usually the astral, the emotional. And you always want to look at, well, is the water, what's the nature of the water? Is it a is it a great big tidal wave, a tsunami, that's going to come and get you and swallow you up? Or is the water choppy? Is it uh, muddy? Uh, or is the surface of the water smooth and the water clear so that you can see down into the water? Maybe the water is frozen. Maybe it's snow or ice. All of these relating to your emotional nature. Fire, there's one of the basic elements, and air, another one. Air is very much like water. Air is sort of the emotional nature on a higher turn of the spiral. Air has more to do with uh, consciousness or awareness itself. Both air and water are oceanic in their symbolism. Both air and water represent something really big and all-inclusive. So the water can be like an ocean. And the air, similarly, everywhere equally present. That's why fish and birds often represent spirit, because they fly. The fish flies through the water, 
and the air the bird of course flies through the air so dreams of birds or fish are often very uh, significant spiritually wonder how many people you can see driving around town today with a fish on the trunk of the car and they say that proves i'm a christian well why is it a fish i don't know <laughs> And then there's always the wise guy that puts Darwin on the inside of the fish and has the fish growing little feet. That's interesting. People will do that and, uh, you know, embrace these symbols and have no idea what it really means. I could do a whole show, actually, on the nature of the fish and, and the fishermen in the New Testament and walking on water and paying the temple tax with the coin from the fish's mouth and multiplying the fishes and the loaves and comes up a lot. Fish represents the soul. That's what it represents. It's actually the intersection of circles. The vesica Pisces. Ever hear that term? It's like the CBSI, actually. It's, <laughs> it's the logo of the... Uh, Columbia Broadcasting System, if you take that little dot out of the center. Uh, fire, I mentioned that. That's, an, uh, that's a basic element. Fire usually is purification or transformation. Um, but besides the archetypes or the universal symbols, there are cultural symbols, and there are uh, uh, personal symbols. In other words, when you look at the dream symbol, you have to think about, well, is this literal, like the comment I mentioned earlier by Freud, well, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Or is it a universal archetype? Is it cultural? Or is it personal? How are you going to know? Well, like anything else with practice. And so uh, those are just some of the, just touching lightly on some of the topics. And we'll take a break here at the midway point and come back with your questions and your comments and your dreams and your nightmares and your sleep disorders. And we'll take a look at the magic and the mystery of this, uh, this experience of the subconscious mind having a mind of its own if you don't mind. I mean, just consider, if nothing else, the ambivalence and the conflict that goes inside your head, that goes on inside your brain. The, yes it is, no it's not, this is right, I don't think so, I can do it, you're going to screw it up. I deserve it, no you don't, you're, you always screw it up. I mean, what is this argument going on inside our heads? What is the dualism in our brains? You've got two sides to the brain. You've got two aspects to mind. Well, when the conscious mind goes off, as in sleep and dreams, the subconscious obviously has its own ideas and its own feelings that you're going to remember only as a dream because you're unconscious. You weren't there. You were gone tripping through the astral, out-of-body experience, lucid dreams. There's so much here, so many places we can go. See what you have on your mind. 818-985-5735. Brooks, again, our producer today. You'll talk to her 
818-985-KPFK. We'll go to your calls right after this. Michael Benner, this is InterVision on KPFK. On Saturday, May 26, Visual Artists Guild will commemorate the 1989 Tiananmen Square Massacre with an award ceremony and banquet in downtown Los Angeles. Ms. June Polcini will be one of two awardees honored that Saturday. The other awardee, Ms. Mak Yin Ting, former chair of the Hong Kong Journalists Association, will be the keynote speaker. She will talk about the Hong Kong people's continuous struggle to retain their liberties and fundamental freedoms during the 10 years since Hong Kong was handed over to China. Our Tiananmen Square commemoration will be held on Saturday, May the 26th. The awards and seven-course banquet will be presented at the Golden Dragon Restaurant. Reservations are necessary and can be made by calling 310-539-0234. For further information, please visit www.kpfk.org. KPFK is a media sponsor of our May 26th event. KPFK and your very own radio, 90.7 FM, all over Southern California. Santa Barbara County, we're heard at 98.7 FM. Hello, Santa Barbara. And to our friends all over the world, we are streaming at kpfk.org. I want to mention the podcast and also downloadable archives of this and so many other KPFK programs available on the website kpfk. Dot org. You should have that bookmarked or just uh, write it on the wall in Sharpie over your computer so you know how to get there, kpfk.org. There's a Listen Live button, and if you miss your favorite show, Audio Archives, and those are maintained as, uh, I believe, streaming and downloadable files, your choice. You want to bring it onto your computer, hit the Download button. You want to listen to it off the KPFK server, so when it's done, there's nothing on your machine um, streaming audio. And many of the programs, like this one, Friday Intervision, are also podcast, and you can subscribe there, kpfk.org. It's a friendly website. And, of course, you can uh, subscribe to this program as a podcast, another radio program I did a few years ago with my friend Steve Snyder. You can subscribe to that. It's free as a podcast at the uh, iTunes Music Store. Just type my name into the query box, the search box, Michael Benner, and both of those programs will come up for you. All right? And my website is theagelesswisdom.com. You remember the T-H-E, theagelesswisdom.com. Part of the ageless wisdom is dream work. Looking at uh, those... Dreamscapes, those interior landscapes, the part of us that remains alive, awake, and aware when the conscious self is gone, unconscious. You'd think we would be more interested in dreams than we are. You'd think we'd be more interested in ourselves. But to be interested in yourself in the society is to tend to be self-centered and selfish. As if the only reason to be interested in yourself is to get a leg up on somebody else, to be somewhat superior. The idea of really understanding that none of us are superior or inferior to anyone, and yet each of us is unique, not better than, not worse than, but different from, that's the best reason to be interested in yourself, to discover your uniqueness. 
not your superiority or inferiority. But most folks don't want to know about themselves. They're not interested. We'd rather judge and try to control other people. Sort of weird. But we're working on it. We're growing. We're just little human babies. Still learning. Let's go to the phones for our discussion on sleep and dreams today. In Hollywood, it's Richard. You're on KPFK, Richard, with Michael Benner. Hi. Hi, yes. better. How are you? There you go. I'm better and better, thanks. How about good. you? You sound good. Thank you. I feel good. You sound good. It's been a long time since I've talked to you. So what have you been dreaming about, Richard? I haven't been. Oh. Um, and I'm, I don't know if it's my nutrition or... Um, the last thing I could remember was, and I was a dream of a friend of mine, and me, we're standing next to, to each other, and I don't know if you know about Sai Baba, this guru, this guru in India. Sure. But was above us and was, was pouring down this sort of a pink, lowish energy light on us, filling us like what I, what I guess is called love. And uh, I told my friend about it, and he's all like, "That was that." He he dismissed it as being anything important, and I thought it was one of the one of the last important things that like happened to my mind and heart. I think, and I. I said, oh, no, this means something. We're, we're like, we're dancing like this inner cosmic energy of love together, and this is a, a great friendship, and da-da-da. Mind you, I don't speak to this person right now. We're on sort of bad terms hmm. out with each other. And Over these kinds of issues? Over uh, over, uh, over the idea of, of uh, it could be in gay love or something like that, or, or and I must say, it doesn't have anything to do with, with gender <laughs> or sexual orientation. This is like a pure, and I was trying to like, this to him, and he, he, I think he may have silently got it, but not totally. I'm not sure. Um, That's and, the problem with using the word love in regard to consciousness or spirituality is so many people can't distinguish spiritual love from emotional love. It doesn't occur to them that one is capitalized in a very different thing, that when Christ said love your enemy, he didn't mean gay sex, right? Right, right, right. And I don't know, I don't know how we can have gotten this far and still be this confused. But uh, I think that's a beautiful dream. The color pink is often associated with spiritual love. The idea that spirit precipitates down is an ancient alchemical concept that uh, rain is, I mean, even your weatherman calls it precipitation, right? It precipitates. In other words, it's a gas that becomes a liquid. It changes its form. And then as a liquid, formerly this gas, water vapor, now a liquid, is heavy enough to precipitate down. And then you stand receptive to that or benefit from the impress of that spiritual rain. And Sai Baba, of course, is... I don't know how you feel about him, but he's I've highly... I've had five private interviews with him. I, I, well, there you go. India, so, yeah. yeah. So he already represents to you a, an avatar, a prophet, a spiritual master of some sort. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, it's a reflection of your aspiration to understand yourself spiritually. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful dream. But do I have a right to... to I, I went and got one of Sai Baba's books at the Bodhi Tree, and it talked about if... He gives one a direct experience with him. You don't have to go share that with other people or, or, or make it their story or their experience, but keep it for yourself. 
I was trying to share it with him as if, as if I was going to uplift him or enlighten him in some way. And it's just, I got nowhere with it. And I, I, I don't know if it's my ego that I'm fighting with or, or if it's, if it's, um, you know, since that dream, we, we, at the present moment, because of difficulties in our friendship over this luck issue that I told you about and some others, we're, we're not speaking. And, um, I thought after that dream, my relationship would be different, would be, would be enhanced or, or, or become an amazingly, like, you know, miraculous friendship or, and it didn't happen. And I'm sort of disheartened by it. Yeah. Well, the poet Byron said, happiness is born a twin. And so you want to share your joy. You want to share your happiness with friends. And we all do. But at the same time, if they're not ready, uh, then we got to love them enough to let them uh, have their own experience and let go. You know, love is letting go. So we can't become the proselytizer. We we uh, we can't become the overbearing, arrogant. Um, we're not the savior. It's not our job to save other people. Your job is to save yourself. You know. Redeem yourself, and if others reach out for help, support them. But I don't think it's just my personal experience that I, I'm very off put by people who proselytize, who, who have a level of arrogance. What, where, I didn't mean to be sound dumb, but what do you mean by proselytize? To um, to spread the word in a rather authoritarian fashion, like regardless of their age, or their knowledge, or what they've been through in life, they're often told to go out and spread the word. Well, if you disagree with their version of the word, even if you were largely in alignment, but those who proselytize tend to be very inflexible. They tend to be very narrow and dogmatic. And so if you disagree even a little bit, rather than honoring that disagreement, um, well, I think it's great. They have... judge you and say, "Well, I'll pray for you." And I always feel like right. saying, "Well, that's nice. I'll pray for you." I mean, you know, I'm excited that he may have his own experience to come back and share with me one day. Yeah, well, that's cool. So, that's all I can hope for. You know? yeah. not not to have my experience. But, there you go. There you go. You know, and I hope God. I hope it happens soon. You know, whether it's a dream or whatever it is. But well, well um, I, I stopped dreaming after that. Well, thanks for your call. I got some more folks on the board here, so we're going to well, move thanks, along. But that's great, Richard. Thanks a lot, Ben Rand. Nice talking to you. Thanks, buddy. All right, bye bye. Let's go to Mount Washington and Raphael. You're on KPFK Intervision with Michael Benner. Hi, Raphael. Hi, Michael. How are you? Better and better. Thank you. Thank you. Me, myself too. When you mentioned the word lucid, I was thinking about what you were talking about because when I go to sleep at night, I feel like I'm a television that's been left on all night long, but nobody's watching yet. There's this movie going on, these images that's happening. And when you were talking about being asleep and, and feeling yet very, very conscious, I'm able to develop in my mind um, or in my dream state uh, a state where I can create to such detail uh, images of, of people's faces, uh, things that are happening between people, uh, places. I can even wake up and pick up again where I left off when I go back to sleep. And <laughs> I don't always wake yeah. up tired, but it just it happens every single night. Cool. Is there practical or 
in some way valuable information that you glean from these experiences? Um, you know, I was thinking about what you were, you were talking about also getting the pen and writing it down because I kind of let them go. But, but, but having said that, I can then maybe, at, uh, you know, after Monday comes Friday, pick up where I left off on Monday. And so these are serial lucid dreams. Serial, yes. Is yes. there a storyline or a plot? Are you progressing? Uh, there's sometimes storylines or sometimes plots. There's sometimes uh, things that are just transpiring for that night. Um, and do they and seem to relate to your waking life, your daily affairs? No, that's what I was going to say is that it has nothing to do with what's going to transpire at my work or my job the next day. I'm also an artist. I do uh, mosaics. So I don't know if, if something about the mosaics, putting one at a time. Um, I do both bead and, and glass mosaics and beads. My bead mosaics can have about 100 million beads, actually, that I'm putting on one at a time. And the work is starting to be shown at you know local museums and stuff. But it's just that this dreaming keeps happening every single day. Beautiful. It's not a problem for you, is it? No, no, no. But I was just wondering. You're digging I it. I can't remember when it started. Well, uh, you know, artists tend to be women and men who are particularly amenable or acceptive to this kind of insight from other dimensions. Um, I heard Paul McCartney talk about in an interview once how Let It Be, uh, the lyrics to Let It Be came to him. And if you just remember the lyric, whisper, you know, Mother Mary comes to me whispering words of wisdom let it be. Let it be. I heard John Fogarty talk about, on several occasions, waking up in the middle of the night, grabbing a guitar, standing there bare-ass naked, playing a song that he didn't write, that just dropped into him, just came through him. Mm -hmm. And other artists, uh, lyricists and poets and painters and, and sculptors talking about this level of inspiration and revelation. I don't think you're having these dreams because you're an artist. I think you're an artist because you're plugged in. Oh, I see. Is there something that, that I can do or just leave it alone that I can enhance it or just... Be grateful. Okay. Express your gratitude in any way that occurs to you, if only in silent prayer. Spend some part of every day just thank you to whoever, whatever is your sense Mm -hmm. of the source of spirit, of the source of inspiration, revelation, and creativity. Um, you know, uh, most religious people think of a man, an old guy, and a cloud. Uh, um, people who are a little more, how shall I say, flexible, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, may have entirely different images. Some of us feel like to even try to create an image of the source would in and of itself, be idolatry. Mm -hmm. um, the debate about naming God, for example. But would, would it have anything to do with that? I'm, I'm not really someone who believes in, in God. I'm a kind of a spiritual person. Would sure. That... Whatever. Whatever. Okay. Use your context. Honor your belief system and okay. your context, because it's obviously working for you. So okay. honor it. Be grateful for it. And... Uh, you know, as the mystics say, if the only prayer you ever said was thank you, that would suffice. Okay. Okay? Thank you so You're much. You're blessed. Michael. You're lucky. That's very cool. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks for calling. KPFK, we're talking about dreams today. Lucid dreams, prophetic dreams, dreams with universal information, cultural information, personal information, symbolism, and sometimes even literal dreams. Let's go to Long Beach and Dia. You're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Hi. 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 Good afternoon. Indeed. Um, Thanks for calling. Oh, my pleasure. Um, This happened about 20 years ago, and it was after my father had died, and I was living in his condo that I later bought from his wife, and I was doing a lot of renovations, so I was sleeping on the sofa by the windows, and I woke up probably about 2 or 3 in the morning, and I heard the woodwork around the window crack, which usually indicated that there was going to be an earthquake. I was on the seventh floor of this, this old, old building. And all of a sudden, I felt this weight on my chest. It was very heavy. And I could see right through it. My eyes were open. I was looking at the window. Uh, there was light coming in the window, and I couldn't see anything on my chest, but it it freaked me out. Yeah, you were on your back, right? I was on my back. Do you usually sleep on your back? No, but I was sleeping on my back on that sofa. And was this by any chance a nap? No, this was in the middle of the night. All right, go ahead. And uh, so I started to pray, and I and I said, out of my mind, out of my heart, and the thing lifted. Cool. And so I, but of course I was just like totally freaked out, because to, to me, I was awake. And I, I really think I was. So the next day, I'm working around in my apartment, and out of the corner of my eye, I see sitting on the sofa at that place a little old man with a Hamburg hat. And it looked like Harry Truman, you know? But, I mean, I, I couldn't see it directly, but I could see it out of the corner of my eye. Uh-huh. And so I told my daughter about it later, and I, and um, maybe a couple of days later or so, and she, and she said to me, well, maybe, and I hadn't thought about this at all, maybe your father came back to apologize. And my dad always wore a Homburg. So I looked, and I had already told that figure in the corner, you stay on your side, and I'll stay on my side, <laughs> and, and please don't touch me. Right. You know? Sure. And so uh, so my daughter creepy. told me, you know, maybe it was your father. Uh-huh. And so I turned and I looked to that corner, and I said, it's all right, I'm fine, I don't hold any grudges. What would he have been, if you don't mind my asking, sure. what was it that uh, your daughter felt he needed to apologize for? Well, my, my mother and father had divorced when I was nine, and he was pretty, and he didn't know any of my children. I see. And uh, so, so after after I got through high school, we had almost no contact at all. So he was, disinterest would be. Y- yeah, disinterest, and also um, he had no fathering skills whatsoever. He he had run away from home himself at a very early age. I think he was about twelve or fourteen. Mm-hmm. And I gather his father was a very angry man, and so he had he had nothing to give. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when I said, and I saw, so I really, really, and truly. Um, of the of my two parents, I probably felt that my father accepted me more in some ways than my mother. But so I just turned to that corner and I said, um, you know, there's nothing nothing to apologize for. It's okay. And I never saw him again. 
Yeah, you gave him permission to leave then. I did. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Now, do you think that that was that was narcolepsy or something of that nature? I think it may have been a combination. Even it could be that the the old hag phenomena. You're on your back. The appearance of somebody. Well, the sensation of somebody sitting yes. on you. That may have been, you know, a, uh, a sleep disorder. Although. It's apparently not a pattern for you. Never just... had it happen before, never <laughs> okay. have had it happen since. And then it could be some sort of legitimate uh, visitation at the same time, some extracurricular. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story that leads me to believe that this really was, if not your father per se. Remember, spiritual beings are energy beings, and right. energy emanates, it radiates. Right. And so it could have been a reflection, in a sense. All right. When we look at hauntings, the idea that the soul has stayed behind is a very simple idea, that it's more like videotape. It's a magnetic impression or, or a reflection that lingers. But nevertheless, well... No, that makes sense to me, because I've never felt that souls stay behind. Why would they? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. So here's my version of that story, uh, and it's timely. When... My brother, well, I'll tell it this way. Uh, some 25 years ago, I woke up in the morning remembering a dream about my grandfather, who had died probably 10 years previous, dancing an Irish jig. I never saw him dance an Irish jig, though my uncles and aunts said that every once in a while he would. And... Uh, but I had this very clear uh, recollection of a, what felt like a, a very recent dream, and here he's dancing a jig. Well, I didn't think much about it. I got up, made my coffee, had my breakfast. A couple hours later, the phone rang, and it was my brother. And he said, speaking of his wife, Grace had the baby. Huh. Now, I knew, of course, they were due roughly about that time, but I hadn't even thought of it. So... At the time, I had the dream of my deceased grandfather dancing the jig uh -huh. back in Missouri. They're having this baby, which would have been his first great-grandchild. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, you just can't write that off as a coincidence. Well, and, and the, to, to complete this story, which I have forgotten for the moment, my sister and I had been sort of on the outs. And years later, when I was talking about this experience with her, my father lived near her when he died. And so I was telling her about this, and she said, really? She said, before Dad died, he apologized to me. Wow. But didn't get a chance to do it no. with you. No, That works for me. If we understand, again, we think of love as a commodity that we give and receive. If instead we would think of it as a, an, an electromagnetic field, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a unifying field, well, and don't you feel more connected with people when, when, you, when you are of like mind and there's kind of a field of love around? Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I think they call that harmony. Yes. Yeah. And it's love as harmony that unifies the one and the many. The, yes. the nature of, of diversity and individuality with the essence of unity itself. But there's got to be a heart and a soul in the middle of the one and the many. Yes in the middle of unity and diversity, and the heart and the soul. That's love as consciousness. It's electromagnetic. And once we love, you always love. 
once once you find out what that feeling is, you can recognize it when it happens again. Those bonds never go away. No. I I, I know there are uh, strictly religious people that have some. Uh, again, very simplistic versions of going to a place called heaven mm, and then yeah. the family is all there and the dog is there. Uh, um, I, I, I don't buy that quite in that literal way, but I do feel that once you love, you can never be separated from someone that you love. Those bonds, that magnetism, that that connection is is perpetually there. What could destroy love? The only thing that destroys or blocks love is fear, and that is confined to the material world. In the spiritual realm, there is no fear. Yes. we got to go. Give me a parting shot. Oh, Captain got a parting shot. That was it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Great Bye-bye. story. Well, we'll do that again. That's fun. And uh, always popular. And lots of information. Uh so many wonderful books on dreaming and lucid dreams and incubating dreams to program a dream to be about what you want it to be about. Beautiful thing. Get interested in who you are. Dreams are a great way to do that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling D'Angelo. As always, thank you for being our engineer extraordinaire. To Brooks, our producer. To each of you for listening and calling. To my wife for all of her help. My Computer and web guys, Kurt Wyman, Craig Duncan, Roy Batchelor. Thanks to everybody. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Here together we may say.